Hello and welcome back to this episode of Musical Roots. Today we have the pleasure of chatting to the Musical Roots jingle composer, Giles Thornton. Outside podcast jingle writing, Giles is also an arranger and an orchestrator who has worked on a wide array of projects from film to big band and beyond. He regularly works at the famous Abbey Road and Air Studios and has contributed to the music on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, The Crown, Robbie Williams, Jules Buckley and more. In this episode, we chat to Giles about his busy life working on projects for Netflix and Disney, his musical beginnings with the saxophone and the decision he made to move away from performing to a more behind the scenes role. We also discuss his love of sailing and living by the sea. So Giles, thank you so much for coming and being a guest on our podcast. For those that don't know, Giles is actually the composer of our podcast jingle that starts and ends every episode. So thank you so much, Giles, for our wonderful jingle. Not a problem at all. Not a problem. It's uh, It was a real joy to uh, kind of sit uh, in front of my desk and, and go, wow, uh, you know, I've got total freedom to do what I want here, which is brilliant. Oh, well, thank you so much. So can you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to this week? So this week has been, uh, <laughs> it's been a bit of an odd one. I've been working on a Netflix show, mm. which is very exciting. exciting. Um, as, as well as that, I've been doing uh, a few things for a concert that's happening at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, wow. For Quincy Jones. I've uh, just been um, helping out uh, the uh, the conductor with a few uh, admin things here and there, you know, uh, keeps me on my toes. And also, I've been out sailing, which is uh, always a good, good thing. I'm so jealous that you're by the sea. I mean, like, I mean, you used to live in London, didn't you, when you were a student? Yes. Um, how does how is it now to be by how is it now to like be by the sea and have like your days off and breaks and stuff by the sea? Oh, it's 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 brilliant. Like um, so so yesterday I worked all day in the sailing club um, until about six o'clock, and you're literally there's a balcony and there's the sea. Hmm. When you say work there, what does your work entail? Like, what does that look like? So. So what I'm doing at the moment is called orchestration. Uh, so it's not composition, but it's the the next one down in the kind of hierarchy. Um, so uh, the composer does everything electronically, then sends it to me um, to then flesh out and... Um, make work for the for the lineup we we have at the recording sessions later on this um later on this month and what's that like hearing your the orchestrations that you have that you have made what's it like hearing them played on the kind of live instruments for the first time because i was speaking to a composer the other day and i was saying like i think composers quite often get quite attached to those sort of midi sibelius sounds that they hear that play back to them so it's then sometimes maybe a a bit strange when they come and actually hear them on the live instruments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for me personally, it's a great joy to 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 hear the instruments live, and you sometimes go, "Hang on, that's not how I wanted it to be," uh, and you make little changes here and there, you know. Um, but it's it's such a joy, and um, I've got 
a project coming up that I um, been working on for seven months uh, with a few people for Disney um, and uh, we've got a choir, 40 piece choir Ooh. so often I go to my bosses and try try to convince them that, you know, yeah this section, yes it'll be fine with electronic samples but you'll never get the human mm. element of, of the, the players yeah. or, you know, it's it's so hard to to portray breath. Yes, and synthesized voices are the worst as well. Like they they sound just wrong. Yeah, I mean for the for the main part they're horrible, um, but there are a few few ones. Uh, the composer I'm working for at the moment has this amazing software. It's AI um, that he types in, you know the words he wants the choir to sing and they they sing it it's still it's not quite there that's quite scary i mean this has been in big in the government hasn't it? it's just been in parliament this the role of ai and music and where the boundary is yeah going back to this point you can never replace the human element you can get pretty damn close but you'll never you'd be able to hear it the actors are currently on strike uh, it, it's opened up this whole discussion in what was already going on uh, about streaming and, and, and stuff. It's it, it's a crazy world out there. From someone who does work for, because I mean, you're very kind of, I mean, I'm very successful freelancing, but do you find that thinking about streaming services and different kind of production companies you work for, do you find there's a difference? Oh, absolutely. I've certainly found this. I mean, some people may disagree that the the bigger the budget, the more last minute it seems to be. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I've done some some really kind of low lower budget things. Uh, so they treat you so nicely. They're so appreciative of your work, mm. and there's more of a tight knit team. It's almost like um, not like a brotherhood, but like a family. That's lovely. Yeah. So how do you deal with the kind of really, I guess sometimes you get very tight deadlines um, and I can imagine that you work some crazy hours of the night. How do you deal with that kind of pressure? There's a few ways you can handle it. There's there's one where you panic. I know that one really well. <laughs> where you sit and have bags and bags of coffee and you just power through. Sometimes that works. Sometimes that's fine, but, you know, it's not exactly healthy. Then there are other times where, like, for instance, I had a few few things on with the similar deadlines. I brought in a few more members of staff to help to, to make it look nice. So is that bringing in people to kind of do the formatting and making the making the parts readable for the musicians, or is it that sort of thing? Yes, yes, it's that, and it's also um, what we call MIDI cleanup. So when the composer plays in things into uh, Logic um, or Pro Tools or Cubase, they don't necessarily make it to the grid. So you've got to go back and make sure everything's on the grid and then you then export as MIDI 
uh, and put it into Spalius, and then you're ready to kind of do the orchestration bit. Right. Okay. So that's quite a big cleanup job. Yes. Yes. Um, it's such a relief having those guys on board where you know that you get to the studio and everything's there. Everything's there. Everything's mm. done. So that yeah. as an orchestrator, you can you can sit back and kind of run it and do your job. Just thinking about if there's anyone listening right now, like working in like Air Studios, Abbey Road, that's something that so many people want to do. How did you kind of find yourself entering this world? Completely by chance. Mm. Um, so <laughs> um, uh, I was I was actually studying jazz composition at Guildhall, having studied jazz saxophone for two uh. years. Um, which I look back on now, and it was it was the best and worst decision of my life. In what way? Uh, it, it was the best decision because I met loads of brilliant teachers, brilliant people, and it also kick-started kick my career in writing. Funny enough, um, mm-hmm. but but uh, the worst decision was I was never going to study, you know, jazz saxophone. It was never going to work. I, my head wasn't in it. You kind of have to go through these mm. things to find out that's not what's right, yeah. don't you? I think that's never a waste of time because you're like, great, I know that's not what is It led me. you to where you needed to yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so anyway, so I was studying jazz composition um, and now a very good friend of mine, Jules Buckley, was uh, rehearsing for the prom. I knew him through my teacher at the time, Tom Richards. So I got him on Facebook and I was essentially like, listen, Jules, I know you're in town. Please can I just come in, sit at the back, watch you work. Amazing. And do your thing because he was and still is a hero of mine. Um, But um, yeah, so I did, uh, I went along in the break, I got chatting him and he was like oh do do, do you want to work now uh and i was like what? Ah, okay fine <laughs> um yeah and and uh so it was it was mostly um part prep and a few like can you put like french horn onto clarinet here? yeah yeah or like you know think things like that wow uh but then, uh, yeah, we um, we did the gig at the Royal Albert Hall. I got a ticket for free, which was lovely. Um, then I went to the after party um, as these things happen. And um, I can essentially trace all my connections from that after party. Wow. All my work wow. from that after party. Yeah, it's that old thing of send that email, shoot your shot, reach out and ask if you can go along to listen to a rehearsal. Like, how important is it to have that initiative and be proactive and go and meet your heroes, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No one is going to hire you if they don't know you. Love that. Yeah. You know, uh, it's as simple as that. You know, you could be the best trumpeter or the best French horn player or the best orchestrator in the world but if no one knows you yeah i was talking to one of my friends about this the other day so he writes a lot on twitter and we were talking about it and i was like oh you know why why do you post all your slightly sarcastic witty comments on twitter and he was saying that actually 
the amount of work that has come in because someone has liked, you know, one of his funny Twitter posts and that's like kept him fresh in their minds and then they've got, oh, are you free to do this tomorrow? Or, you know, it's so important, isn't it? And it's something that you just don't necessarily think about. No, no, it's it's one thing they don't talk about in enough in um, in colleges, going out and meeting people and you know because yeah i mean guildhall and guildhall was great and you know i love the team there they're brilliant um but you know it can be a box and then you leave and you graduate and it's like what now just getting out and meeting people is it's a huge thing you know um whenever i did like secondary school um kind of talks and stuff um I I said to people, everyone likes tea. Everyone likes coffee. Yeah, buy them a cup of tea. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like, I, I'm like anyone. I hate the networking thing. You know, I hate putting myself out there. It's that word, isn't it, as well? Like, oh, networking. Yeah. It just makes you... I prefer connecting. I much prefer connecting. Yes, absolutely. It, but it's so important in today's world, you know. But also, you know with the rise of social media you've got you know your instagram your your twitter and some people some people have said to me is it's like oh i know you so well even though i've just, i know you from instagram or you know uh it's it's a crazy world at the moment where where social media is is king so can you so you've kind of got this thing with jewels you've done your first little work and you went to this party the first time you walked in to like, whether it was Abbey Road Air Studios, can you talk us through what actually happens inside? Uh, Bring okay. us in. So, um, so if you're, um, let's say you're orchestrating, I would usually get in about two, two hours before, if not a little bit before. Um, so just because then you're there, and you can go and have a coffee and chill before the madness ensues. Um, then you're met with a corridor which um, which kind of uh, connects all the different studios. And there's always a buzz down this corridor because there's always mm. a runner doing something or there's, you know, always a musician, you know, wheeling a double bass or, like, you know... Down the corridor, there are um, there are framed pictures of all the things that have been recorded there. So you you turn wow. one corner and it's like Lord of the Rings signed by Howard Howard Shaw. You know, then you have like um, Star Wars, and there's like a little note from John Williams. You, st- you suddenly get into the gravity of the place. It, you know, it can be quite intimidating walking, just walking down mm. that hall. Um, and then you go into Studio One, and you're like, oh, "Wow, it's a massive space!" Uh, and you know, when I get into it, usually it's more or less empty, apart from the the engineers who are setting up things. And there's nothing like seeing a studio that is empty. And quiet and there's it's kind of it's it's like going into a church for me like mm. 
it's very meditative and then you know the the string players usually arrive about i don't know an hour before start warming up and then brass players come in five minutes before kidding Classic. kidding <laughs> and then there's that moment where it hits 10 a.m everyone's there conductor is in the you know podium and everyone takes that breath before the first first beat I, I can't put my finger on it but I find it the most exciting thing because because then mm. it's almost like a a wall of sound kind of hits you and it's like this is really cool and then you you do the recording session and with all all luck touch wood it goes well um you know when it goes wrong it, it can go very wrong uh but um give us an example of something going very wrong <laughs> um in a thing very recently where I was doing the copying the the client for some reason or other just wasn't ready to record and whilst the session was going I was literally you know behind the control booth with my printer you know taping things trying to get things onto the stand whilst people are waiting for music that's never fun I've also been in sessions where well I was in one session where a person fainted Oh no! You have to accept the chaos. James Murphy said that on the podcast episode we did with him. He was saying that there's you can't tr- try to not have problems. Like there will always be problems, and you just have to find solutions. And just yeah. see it as like the next challenge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's you know, as an orchestrator, you're 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 solving problems and finding solutions the whole time. So, Giles, you studied jazz saxophone at Guildhall. How did you first come across the saxophone? And tell us a bit more about your journey. Okay. So, I first picked up the sax. I think I I kept on berating my parents about this particular picture. Uh, I was like, I want that. I want that. I want to play that. I want to play that. Um, What was the picture? I, I can't remember for the life of me what it was, but uh, it was probably like Charlie Parker playing the saxophone or something. Anyway, so they, they took us to the prestigious uh, saxophone shop, sax.co.uk, and I managed to play Happy Birthday on on a sax, so it was kind of meant to be. Um, my first teacher was a jazz musician. I think he was the guy who kind of inspired me to continue playing. He wasn't maybe maybe he wasn't the best technical teacher of all time, but he you know he inspired me to keep on playing. And then when I got to secondary school, I got a new teacher who bashed my technique into in into in, into place and was very kind of solid technique. Were you playing in lots of ensembles? Yes, so I was playing in a few and then uh, like sax quartets and I would always be playing baritone because I was the only one who could play it. Also in sixth form, I had the privilege to join uh, one of the um, junior schemes in London, uh, the uh, Junior Trinity Laban School of Music and Dance. And my saxophone teacher at the time there was a guy called Mick Foster who does 
everything from like classical stuff to 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 jazz and everything in between um brilliant brilliant musician i did all the auditions and got a reserve place at Guildhall. and then march came along and i got the um got the place um but um i recognized quite early on uh in my degree that i was i was not suited to saxophone i was getting all the um all the gigs for writing and musical direction end of second year i was like what am i doing i you know i'm i'm wasting my t- my time here can i can i do something else that is away from saxophone i love playing saxophone but uh, you know college is a different thing entirely well, it's amazing that you had the sort of self-awareness to to realise that and to be so courageous and to sort of make that change. Yeah, it was a weird kind of self-realisation that this just wasn't working. Um, and so I changed my um, d- degree to jazz composition and arranging. Uh, and... Yeah, it was it was the start of my career essentially. I love those stories so much, and like that is just I think a perfect example of, you know, I think there's I mean we talked a lot on this podcast in different episodes about like how en- entwined your instrument is to your identity, and I think for you to realize that quite I mean second year of undergrad that's really early like in age mm. for you to go this isn't right for me this is what I want to do and I'm gonna do it. And I think that's so amazing. And I, I, yeah, I mean, where did you get that strength from, do you think? Because I think that's a really, really big thing that you shouldn't undervalue in yourself. That's an amazing quality. Um, I think it was, I'd always been, been quite stubborn. And I, I, that comes from my my mother's side. Um, <laughs> we're, we're all quite, we're, we're not ones to kind of... Uh, shy away from a challenge i'm always one for trying to push myself push myself to the next next thing there's not much that phases me now really in terms of uh challenges and it always ends up being fine if there was like maybe a conservatoire student listening now or even like a younger student who's like in sixth form and they were kind of sitting there being like, oh, I don't really know what I want to do. It could be this, it could be that. What would you say to them about pursuing things, I suppose? <laughs> well, the, the 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 cliche would be to say, pursue your dreams. Uh, choose the very best thing for yourself. You know, if it is actually, I'm going to take my time and have a gap year and figure out kind of where I'm going to be, where I'm at. That is fine. Take your time. You know, these are big decisions and it's okay if it goes wrong. It's okay to fail. And it's also okay to change your mind, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. It's okay to, so even if you think that this is what I want to do, like, you know, you say, I want to go and be a jazz saxophonist. It's okay to say, actually, you know what, this isn't for me. It's okay to change yeah, your yeah, mind. Yeah, hugely. You know, music is hard. <laughs> you know, it's 
you know, it, it's amazing. It's lovely, you know, uh, but it's uh, it's a difficult profession for many different reasons. Um, but it's so varied in terms of what you can do. It is just such an exciting industry. You can be whoever you want to be on one day of the week and be someone else on the next day and be someone else on the next day. Yeah, I love that. You can you can rejig yourself uh, and your career so many times, endlessly. And I think that's beautiful, isn't it? Because I always think about this in terms of like, if you had like a kind of nine to five office job, this is your job description. You are there Monday to Friday, nine till five. In music, it doesn't really happen that way very often. It's amazing the different things you can do. And so amongst this busy life, what do you do to sort of look after yourself and for your mental health and how do you switch off? You mentioned sailing, but what else do you sort of do to look after yourself? I do yacht racing with sailing, uh, which is good fun. But I also um, am a big fan of CrossFit, Mm. which is kind of a weightlifting and functional fitness. I am so envious that you could... I, I, I've always wanted to try CrossFit, but it kind of terrifies me at the same time. It still terrifies <laughs> me. So, you know, it's... Uh, and I've been doing it for a year now. Uh, and it's it's great. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where it hurts at the time. It's, it's horrible. But then you come back the next day. I, I love the weightlifting side. I love the Olympic weightlifting um and it it really helps me kind of unwind and get all the stress out from the day you know absolutely right giles at the end of every episode we do a fire round my question is out of all the projects you've worked on what should people go and watch and listen i mean if you if you're in to take that um the the film greatest days is currently out in cinemas um uh, with a brilliant score by um, uh, Ollie Julian and Nick Foster. I had the privilege to work on that. Brilliant. And my question is, who is the most famous person and or band that you have ever sort of bumped into or been recording next to in the studio at Air or Abbey Road? Uh, I've, I've looked across the table at... Um, at Paul McCartney. Wow, huge. Pretty big. I also, I had a moment where I was in the studio whilst they were recording Black Panther. I was looking at this guy and I was like, who is that? Who, who is that? Uh, uh, I thought to myself, ah, oh, it's Ludwig Göransson. Yeah, it's the composer of Black Panther. It's just hanging around. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you to Giles for being so open and bringing us into what life looks like inside of these amazing studios that we don't often see inside. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with your friends and family and give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much and we will see you back here in two weeks time.